Hey, this is Pastor Allen. I'm the lead pastor here at First Baptist Church of Naples, and we are so happy that you have chosen to join us as we go through God's Word together. God's doing some amazing things here, and we pray that God's Word will transform you from the inside out. Our mission here is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ of all peoples. And our hope is, is that you are being a disciple that makes disciples. Now, if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to join us either in person or continuing online as we go into God's Word together every week. But if you are a member of another church, we don't want this to be in any way, shape, form, or fashion a substitute for you being connected to your local body. So our prayer is, is that God uses His Word to change you and to change others. So we pray that God will use you and this message for His glory. Have a great day. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark 6, verse 30. Let's stand as we read God's word if you're physically able to stand. Mark 6, verse 30. The Bible says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And Jesus said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all of the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii, 200 denarii worth of bread, and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found uh, out, they said, five loaves and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass so that they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to sit before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And they who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. You may be seated. Uh, it's the most wonderful time of the year, Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving. I love the food of Thanksgiving. I love turkey and stuffing and sweet potato pie and cranberry sauce. I'm one of the few. I like the canned cranberry sauce that you can see the mold of the can. <laughs> Anybody else like that? Yes. You are, you are spiritual. Yes. Everybody else? Heathens. <laughs> love Thanksgiving. I love to eat. Do you love to eat? I love to eat. Wow. In heaven, we can eat all we want and not gain a pound. <laughs> Heavenly food cake. We'll be there. But have you ever gone to a restaurant and paid an absorbent amount of money for a meal, and when you come home, you're hungry? 
When I was a kid, a teenager, a growing young lad, um, my mom and dad and I, um, we went to a place. My mom really wanted to go to this place called the Melting Pot. Have you ever gone to the Melting Pot? It's a fondue place. That's back when fondue was, was hip. It's not cheap, and so, I mean, we're from Kentucky, and we're, you know, we're not from an affluent background, and so my dad, because he loved my mom, said, we're going to go, and so we went in there, and they had a special that day. For $100, you could get three pieces of chicken, a piece of tofu, and a strawberry, (laughs) and you got to cook your own food. And so we were there, and my dad is sweating bullets, and we said, son, we're just going to get this. And mom's like, oh, but we need to get this, and we need to get that. And so we got this, and we got that, and, and we made our meal, and my, my dad and I were just, it wasn't enough. And so my dad paid a lot of money, and we left. My mom was completely happy, but we came home and made a ham sandwich. <laughs> and I never will forget my dad saying to me, you have got to know him. (laughs) My dad is one of the most patient men I know. He said to me, we spent all that money and I'm still hungry. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it just wasn't enough food. I think sometimes the more expensive the meal, the less food you get. But there's nothing more disheartening than anticipating something and then experiencing nothing. There's nothing like uh, thinking that if I can just get the latest, greatest, coolest, and I get it and I buy it and I take it home, and then it just doesn't satisfy. Have you ever gone through things in life where you thought, if, if I could just do this, then I would be happy, or if I could just have that, then I would be happy, or if I could just eat that, then I would be happy, but when you do, you find that you're actually feeling emptier than you started. Well, today we're going to talk about food. And we're going to talk about satisfaction. And we're going to look at one of the most famous of Jesus' stories in the Bible, the miracle of the fish and the loaves. If you grew up in the church in Sunday school, maybe you remember the flannel graph version of this. Uh, This story of Jesus multiplying the fish and the loaves is the only miracle outside of the resurrection found in all four of the Gospels, which tells us that this was an unforgettable moment for the disciples, but also a very important truth for us to understand about Jesus. See, the purpose of the miracles as we've been walking through the Gospel of Mark is not just for us to believe in miracles, but to trust in Jesus for miracles, to trust in him. And so what are we going to learn about Jesus in this story? And here's what we're going to learn. It's a very simple sermon. What we're going to learn is this, is that for Jesus, there's no problem too big, no gift too small, and no hunger too deep. For Jesus, there is no problem too big, no gift too small, no no hunger too deep that he cannot satisfy. So let's just walk through that. Number one, there is no problem too big. Verse 30, Jesus, uh, the Bible tells us that the apostles have returned to Jesus. Now, we kind of skipped over a little bit of a section here, so we're going to kind of make that up now. In verses 7 through 13, Jesus sent his disciples out. This is the second time that he sent them out, and he sent them out two by two. Uh, Why would he do that? Well, because the Bible says in Deuteronomy that it's by the mouth of two or more witnesses that a truth is established. And so these men going out two by two were going into these villages and being witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
But we also see that Jesus here is discipling his disciples. One of the things that we'll see, Rob Gallaty in his book, Growing Up, talks about the disciple-making strategy of Jesus. His strategy was this, is that Jesus would do ministry and the disciples would watch, phase one. The second phase is that Jesus would do ministry and the disciples would assist, phase two. Phase three would be that the disciples would do ministry and Jesus would assist. And then phase four is that the disciples would do ministry and Jesus watched. And so what we have here is that Jesus is kind of moving them into what it's going to be like when he is not with them. And while they were gone doing ministry into the villages, word comes to them that John the Baptist, Jesus's cousin, has been executed for preaching and teaching the the truth, speaking truth to power. And so Jesus here has now met back up with his disciples, these apostles, these sent ones. In verse 31, he says to them, hey, let's go away. let's, Let's get away. Jesus thought that this moment after long times of ministry, after hearing this terrible uh, news about John the Baptist, that this would be the apropos moment for the disciples to take a little vacay, to get away from the crowds. See, the disciples and Jesus were so busy, the Bible says they didn't even have time to eat. And I don't know about you, but if you're so busy, you don't have time to eat, you are busy. And the one thing you'll notice about Jesus, Jesus was really always busy, but he was never in a hurry and he always took time to get away. And so they go, most scholars believe, to the northeast side of the sea. And and in verse 32, they get on the boat, and while they're trying to get away, people were looking uh, and and, and seeing out into the the lake. And on a clear day, you can actually see pretty much the whole lake. It's 13 miles long and 7 miles wide. But on a really clear day, if you have a little bit of an elevation, you can kind of see most of what's going on, especially in the northern part of the lake. And so probably it was a clear day. People were kind of stalking Jesus a little bit. And so word comes out that Jesus has now come back into the Galilean region. The disciples are with him. And so people from the towns are just following Jesus around the lake. And they were actually out running where Jesus was on the boat to get to where he was. And so when verse 34, Jesus gets off the boat, most scholars believe maybe in the city of Bethsaida or in that general region that he comes ashore and there was a great crowd. Some believe up to 20,000 people were there. Now, in that day, Galilee at the the most, just a normal population of the whole region of Galilee was maybe 40, 45,000. Well, here, maybe 20,000. Why so many people? Well, John tells us that when this miracle occurs, it occurs around the Passover in the spring. And during the Passover season, people from all over would come to Israel. It was like season for Galilee. So the traffic was horrible. There were accidents and wrecks. Camels were running into donkeys. It was a mess. And so thousands of pilgrims from all around were coming down through the King's Highway and the Via Maris through Galilee and to Jerusalem. And so Jesus sees this mass sea of humanity and he had compassion on them. Now, We would have probably, I would have probably got a little annoyed if on my way to a vacation, people interrupted it. I mean, have you ever had your vacations interrupted? I would have probably grumbled, but Jesus here had compassion. He he had a heart that was stirred up for the people. And he, he says here, the Bible says that he had compassion on them as being sheep without a shepherd. Now, we've, maybe you've heard that phrase before. It actually comes from Numbers 27, verses 12 and 13. And this is where Moses asked God to provide a leader like him for his people after Moses dies so that his people, the people of God, would not be sheep 
without a shepherd. Later on in the prophecy of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 34, God speaks uh, to the people of Israel and he condemns the spiritual leaders, the spiritual shepherds of Israel for being unfaithful to God and unfaithful to the people. And God makes a promise that he is going to send a, a shepherd, a good shepherd, a godly shepherd who is going to shepherd the very people of God. In Ezekiel chapter 34, the Bible says here in verse number 11, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when, his, when he is among the, his sheep that I have scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on the day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land and I will feed them. Notice, I will feed them on the mountains of Israel. Verse 14, I will feed them with good green pastures on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. I will feed them with justice. Here, the people of Israel were sheep without a shepherd. And God promised that there would be a shepherd who would come and that shepherd would be God himself because the people of Israel were under the oppression of Rome and the burden of empty religion. They needed protection. They needed direction. They needed guidance. And so Jesus, the good shepherd, looks at his sheep and in fulfillment of Ezekiel's prophecy, he gives them direction. He gives them guidance through the word of God. And so as Jesus is teaching, the Bible says that it began to grow late. His disciples came to Jesus and sent, said to Jesus, hey, let's, it's getting late, Jesus. We've been here all day and this was not planned. Let's send everyone out for dinner. Now, maybe this was a nice way for the disciples to say, Jesus, it's time for you to hush. <laughs> The people, no doubt, were tired from chasing Jesus all day. Some were far from home, many of which were probably very hungry. It was a large crowd, and the disciples themselves were hungry. They were probably hungry and angry, so they were hangry. And they come to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, I think the best solution now is that you send everybody away to go eat. And so that seems to be very reasonable. I mean, it's a lot of people, maybe 20,000 Send them to the Golden Corral. Send them to McDonald's. Send them away. Maybe there's food trucks out in the desert. Just And so Jesus looks at them in verse 37, and he says, you give them something to eat. Now, the reason I emphasize that in the Scripture reading and now is because in the Greek, it's emphasized. It's an emphatic. He says, you, literally, in the Greek, it could be translated, you yourselves give them something to eat. Jesus Listen to their solution, but he had a better solution. And that is the disciples were now tasked to feed all these folks. Now, John chapter 6 tells us that this was a test from Jesus because Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He, he'd already told his disciples when he sent them out to do ministry that when you go out, don't bring anything with you. Trust that God's going to provide for you. And so in their ministry, they trusted God. Now in this moment, will they trust God? And so as they hear Jesus coming to them and he wasn't asking them, he was telling them, you feed them. 
They look at Jesus and they say to Jesus, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of food? Now, somebody had done some calculations here and uh, they estimated that it would take 200 denarii, uh, which would be 200 days wages to feed all these people. I mean, that's a lot of food. And so think about the amount of food they would need to feed, let's say at minimum 5,000, but at maximum maybe 20,000. Think of the amount of food it would take to feed 20,000 people. I mean, there, there are probably a few, a little over 1,000 in this room right now. Multiply that by 20. Could you imagine all of us, how much food it would take? How, much, how many baskets you would have to buy? How many waiters? How many porta potties would you need when it was all over? The cost would be outrageous. I mean, where are they going to get the food? There's no Costco. There's no Sam's Club. Publix wasn't invented yet. There's no food. And the, where are we going to get the money? So it seemed to the disciples that Jesus' command was something that they couldn't afford and was something that was impossible for them to do. And I want you to let you in on something that often the will of God for your life and for your family and for your church is often what you can't afford and what you can't accomplish on your own. See, Jesus didn't ask the disciples for help because he needed their help to feed these people. He wanted to teach his disciples something. What did he want to teach them? He wanted to teach them that, that what he was asking them to do was impossible without him. And until we see that what Jesus has called us to do is impossible, then we'll never be qualified to do what Jesus has called us to do because what is impossible for us is not impossible for Jesus. And, and it is so easy, even in my own life, to, to, let, to, to let the things I cannot do keep me from trusting in what God can do. You know, our physical impossibilities are opportunities for God to show up in a way that we would never imagine. Because here's what you got to understand. The reason why we sing songs about faith and joy today is because just because you and I can't do it doesn't mean he can't do it. I was talking to a good brother, Chris, in remission with cancer, we hope and pray. And he says he remembers in the moment, I hope you don't mind me sharing this, Chris, but he remembers in the hospital that he felt like in his mind and his body that God was healing him. And it may seem impossible for us to comprehend that, but it's very possible for God to do that. But you know what God does? He often brings us to situations where we have to see whether we really believe this or not, because I would dare say that you could probably say right now, well, pastor, I didn't even have to come to church today. I already knew, I already believe what you say. I believe with all my heart that there's no problem too big for God. But do you really believe it? Because what, what God does is he often will bring you to situations where you have to see whether you really believe it or not. God will stretch your faith to allow you to go through circumstances where all you have is him to hold on to. And he is the only solution to your problem. See, what this text tells us is that there is no problem too big for God. The second thing as we see in this text is that there is no gift too small for Jesus. Verse 38, he asked them, okay, so they've come to Jesus with their concerns. Jesus rebuts them with a question. He says, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. Jesus tells them, go check the pantry. John tells us that basically what they did is they went around uh, the crowd and kind of surveyed what everybody brought for lunch. They happened to find a, a young man. We, we don't know how old he was. 
Maybe he was pre-bar mitzvah, we don't know. But he happened to bring a Lunchable that day to hear Jesus. Five loaves and two fish. Now, five loaves, don't get the idea that these are big French bread loaves. Probably think more of a small little, like a tortilla, small, probably made out of barley, not very big. And the fish, don't think of trout, don't think of salmon, don't think of grouper. Think of like sardines, or some may even have uh, suggested maybe it was fish relish, so maybe it was more like a tuna salad sandwich. A meager meal, a simple fish sandwich. And that's what they had. Now, there's a miracle that actually took place before the miracle. Do you know what the miracle was before the miracle? The first miracle was the boy actually being willing to share his lunch. It's hard to get kids to share anything. This boy had no idea what Jesus was going to do with this. But you know what? He was willing to give it anyway. And he didn't just give some of his lunch. He gave all of his lunch. You know, it's easy for us to let what we do not have keep us from giving what we do have. You know, we look at the needs and the situation and the problem and we get overwhelmed. And and sometimes we say, well, you know, what is my contribution in comparison to to what actually is needed to help? You know, Uh, but this little boy, he, he didn't let what he didn't have keep him from giving what he did have to Jesus. We're in a giving season at the end of the year in December. And we're uh, in the month of December. We're doing our greater things offering. And we are asking and trusting that God's going to do greater things in our church. And the vision in the, uh, of this church is beyond just here, but it's to the nations. And, and we're taking up an offering so that we uh, can give 16% of that offering uh, to missions. And uh, 10% will help us think through future facility needs, not only here, but in future maybe church campuses. And then the rest is for our general budget. to to help us start the new year strong. We're asking and praying that God would give us at least $2 million. uh, And I believe with all my heart that he will supply that need. And some of you are saying, well, pastor, I don't have two bucks, let alone $2 million. And some of you say, well, I've got $2 million, but you're only going to get two bucks. But... And some people think, you know what, Pastor, what what is my contribution really going to do? Have you not looked at the stock market lately? It's down X number percent. And I, listen, I bought into FTX and now I'm in trouble. And I can't do it. But listen, you may not have a lot of money. You may have a lot of money. And I found this, that even people that maybe what we would consider to be wealthy, what I found with all, all people, whether you are wealthy or poor, is that most people are leveraged in two areas. They're leveraged in money and time. Even people that have money are leveraged and people that, that maybe uh, are just are poor, but they still are leveraged in time and that there's not a lot of margin in our life to be, to be generous in time and to be generous in money. But here's what I want you to get at is that God is not asking you to give what you can't give. He's asking you to give what you can give. And if you put what you have into his hands, he can make a little, he can make a lot out of a little. And here's what you got to understand. You can't outgive God. I'm going to let you in a little bit in confession of my soul that I struggle with this sometimes. There's a selfish mindset in my heart sometimes. Maybe it's in your heart. That sometimes in your mind you think, well, you know, the more I give, the less I'll have. You know, one of the traditions in my family has had two things. One is that our goal is to always give more this year than we gave last year to the church and to the kingdom. 
And then our goal at the end of the year is also to, to double our giving, our tithing to the church in the month of December because we believe in the vision and we believe in the mission and we want to be all in. And, and we don't want to just give uh, till it hurts. We want to give till it helps. And so it's, it's, it's a joy. But I'll be honest with you, sometimes I'm like, well, that stinks. Because if I give that much, well, then I can't do this. But, but that, that's thinking in terms of addition. That's thinking in terms of subtraction. That's a selfish mindset. What I'm asking God to give me and what I'm asking God to give our church is a spiritual mindset. And the spiritual mindset says that the more you give, the more God can provide. It's multiplication. See, that's what happened with this boy. He gave, but God outgave him. And God outgave him in ways that no one else could have imagined. You know, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament talks about the tithe, 10%. In the Old Testament, when people gave a tithe at 10%, it was more than just an act of obedience. It was a statement of faith. It's a statement of faith. Because they gave God the first of their harvest. They didn't give God the last of their harvest. They didn't give God leftovers and spare change and pocket lint. They gave to God first and then trusted that God would provide the rest. And they trusted God for the 90%. And through the 90%, God would meet all of their needs. And they could have with the 100% if they would have kept it all to themselves. Some people say, well, pastor, if I, if I gave 10% of my money, well, I couldn't make it. I couldn't do it. Well, one, you're probably not living within your means, you know, one of the personal principles that I, and maybe you like it, maybe you don't like it's from Dave Ramsey, is that I really think that it's wise to live on 70% of your income if you can, 10% to the church or to the Lord's kingdom, 10% to savings, 10% to retirement. But if you can't do that, I understand. But you have to live within your means. The problem in our day is that we want to live outside of our means. We buy things we can't afford to impress people we don't like. But the, re the issue about giving, and listen, this isn't what I want from you. I don't get this idea that this is some self-serving message here. It's not what I want from you. Listen, here's what I believe in my heart. If you didn't give a dime, God would still provide for his church. I just believe it. I've seen him do it. I've seen him move. I've seen it when, when it seemed like absolutely everything was impossible and God showed up. So I'm not worried about this building or this church going under. What I'm worried about is that your soul is missing out on what God wants to do. The question is this, do I trust God enough to give him what I have? See, to the disciples, this was an addition problem. Five loaves plus two fish does not equal feeding 20,000 people. But the issue was not addition. The, Ill, the issue was algebraic. Now, I'm not very bright, but let me show you a little, a, a little uh, formula here. This is what happened in this story. Five plus two times X equals a miracle. The question for you is, what's the X? Better question, who's the X? Who's the X factor? Jesus, five loaves plus two fish times Jesus equals a miracle. In other words, if you take what you have and multiply Jesus to the equation, Jesus always makes the difference. Always. 
See, the gospel of Jesus is not some get-rich-quick scheme. It's not cryptocurrency. Don't be offended by that. And if, if that's your tithe, so be it. But the goal of the gospel is to make all you can, as John Wesley said, save all you can and give all you can. The American view is that you get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can. And a lot of people are doing that. But God has blessed you to be a blessing. He's not some cosmic slot machine where you get, you give in order to get more. No, but if you want to be a part of the miracle, I mean, this little boy, he had no idea, and we don't know how old he was, but he had no idea he's going to be eternally memorialized into the story of God's word, into a miracle that is found in all four gospels because he was willing to give what he had. And listen, it's not because God needs you. Let me, let me let you in on something. God don't need your money. God don't need your time. God don't need doodly squat from you. But God wants to use you. If God, Jesus wanted to, he could have snapped his finger and everyone had a happy meal from Chick-fil-A. Because <laughs> that's God's chicken. But instead, he chose to use his disciples and to use what they had so that they would never forget what he could do with what they had. See, if we know, if we go out knowing that what we are called to do, reaching the nations, is impossible and that we are inadequate, then that's when God can work through us. You know, God's not looking for your ability. He's not looking for your power. You know what he's looking for? He's looking for your faith and his ability and his power to do what you cannot do. That's how the kingdom of God breaks into the world, through ordinary, flawed, broken people who trust Jesus and obey Jesus. So, no problem too big, no gift too small, no hunger too deep. Verse 39, he commands them to sit down. Mark says it's in green grass. I think in that moment, it's a little bit of like, hey, this is Ezekiel's prophecy. Notice sheep without a shepherd sitting in green grass. Does anybody catch that other than me? It's fulfillment. The good shepherd says, sit down. He makes them lie down in green pasture. He organizes the dinner party here. And the Bible says that he took the bread, he took the fish, he looked up to heaven, and he said a blessing. The typical Jewish blessing was Baruch Adonai Elohinu. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe. And he blessed the bread. And he broke the fish. And he distributed it through the disciples. They were the distribution system. And it became an all-you-can-eat buffet of fish sandwiches. I want to know how it happened. Like, did he just put it in a basket and then basket upon basket? Was there just one big, long loaf of bread? Was, how, how, did, how long did it take everybody to get their food? Did it take forever? Was it real quick? All we know is this, is that when the disciples took what Jesus gave them, Jesus multiplied it in their hands. 
And the Bible says in verse 42 that everyone there ate and were satisfied. You made 20,000 people satisfied from their meal. Incredible. I mean, more impeccable service than you can imagine. Everyone's hunger was fulfilled. And there was so much food that what started with five loaves and two little stinky fish left 12 baskets full of leftovers. And these people are Baptists. And they had leftovers. Somebody had some clams. Oh, honey, don't worry about that. I got some clams here. Matter of fact, I'm going to put a Sharpie, put your name on. All right, Simon, Peter, Bartholomew. Here you go. Here, here, honey, here's your clam full of leftover food. Why would, why would there be 12? I think it was one for each disciple. Everybody got a doggy bag. Because I think the miracle was not just for the crowd. The miracle was for the disciples. In their wildest dreams, they would have never expected to feed that many people. 5,000 men plus so many more. So what do you think the crowd thought? I mean, you're sitting there, you're, you've been chasing after Jesus. Jesus comes off the boat, wherever he was here, and he feeds you, he feeds is a dinner and a show. I mean, you got to hear Jesus speak. You got to see the disciples work. And what would you think? I mean, what would you do if Jesus did that? Well, John tells us exactly what they were thinking in John chapter 6, verse 14. And when the people saw the sign that Jesus had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. What's that prophet? The prophet uh, that Moses uh, talked about in Deuteronomy chapter 18. He's Hamashiach. He's the Messiah. This is the one. He feeds my belly. He's got to be king. See, the miracle reminded them of another guy who provided bread, a guy named Moses. Moses prayed, God sends manna, manna in the morning, manna in the evening, manna at supper time. We don't know what it is, but it was awesome. And the people saw then that, Jesus, that God provided supernatural bread, and so they see Jesus, he must be the Messiah, because he, like Moses, is providing wonder bread. But the problem was, is that they were looking to the physical and the earthly, not the spiritual and the eternal. They wanted Jesus to be an earthly king, to overthrow Roman occupation, restore Israel to her glory days, and feed everybody free food. See, they wanted Jesus for selfish, self-serving reasons. They didn't want Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. So the Bible says that Jesus, perceiving that they were going to make him king, withdrew. Later, Jesus is going to say in John chapter 6, verse 27, to the people and to his disciples, he says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. The people in Jesus' day, in our day, were seeking things that will not last. How many of you are seeking? You are li- Some of you right now are so nervous and worried and concerned and consumed about something that don't matter. Like a ball game. Or a bank account. Or a relationship. Or a a job. Or a promotion. Or you're thinking about your next high. Most people in our world are seeking, actually, everybody in our world are seeking things to just deaden the hunger pains of unhappiness. Most people are unhappy. You look up in the morning, you're unhappy. You look in the mirror, you're unhappy. You go to work, you're unhappy. You go home and see your family, you're unhappy. You watch TV, you're unhappy. Your team gets beat, you're unhappy. And so you try to do stuff to make yourself happy. 
And all it does is it's cotton candy. You ever been hungry and you eat cotton candy? It might satisfy for a moment, but then what do you, you want more? Jesus says, don't, don't seek after things that don't last. What lasts, Jesus? How can Jesus feed our hunger? See, Jesus is greater than a Snickers bar. How can he do that? I think how he does that is subtly found in the text. When Jesus is going to satisfy the people's hunger, what does he do? He says a blessing and he breaks bread. Those, that, 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 those words, blessing and broke, are the exact words that Mark will use later on. These words, I think, are foreshadowing. In Mark chapter 14, verse 22, Jesus at the Lord's Supper with, Lord's Supper with the same words is going to say that he blessed the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body. See, for Jesus to bring life, for Jesus to satisfy your hunger, he has to be broken for your sin. So that is why on the cross, as Jesus' body was broken, before it was broken, he said a blessing. You know the blessing that Jesus said on the cross? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. See, Jesus is the only way for satisfaction. He's greater than the great. He is more than a prophet. He's a true and better Moses. He's a better provider than Moses. I mean, Jesus didn't come to give bread that perishes. Jesus came to bring the, be the bread of heaven, to be the ultimate Moses who brings the ultimate liberation from the ultimate enemy of sin and death. Jesus is the true and better David. He is the Lord that is our shepherd. He is the king of kings. He's the good shepherd who leads us beside green pastures and restores our souls by giving his life for his sheep. Jesus is more than enough. Jesus did not come to give us bread. Jesus came to be our bread. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. See, this message is not, uh, don't leave here thinking, well, you know what, if I'm hungry, then I can trust Jesus. He'll feed my hungry belly and... If I'm in trouble, I can just phone a friend and phone Jesus and that Jesus is always there to get me what I want when I want it. No, that's not what the text is teaching. That's not, don't, don't miss the, you're going to miss the miracle and the message in the miracle if that's all you think this is. When we sing songs like, I believe for it, I, I'm not, the, the, the greatest miracle isn't just that I get physically healed or I get more money or my relationship gets mended. The, the biggest miracle is what my heart is hungry for. The deepest hunger of all of our hearts is a right relationship with God. And the reason why people are turning to so many things is because deep inside they're not satisfied because they're seeking something other than Jesus. See, what you need the most is Jesus. You just do. You might need sleep and you might need a job and you might need some money and you might need a friend and you might need a spouse and you might need a prescription and you might need a thrill. But what you truly need is Jesus because no one, no one can satisfy your soul like Jesus. No one. Let me end with this. Have you ever seen the movie The Greatest Showman? A few years ago, it was kind of a big hit. 
It's a Hollywood glamorized musical based on the life of P.T. Barnum. Uh, in real history, P.T. Barnum was the creator of the Barnum and Bailey Circus, but this fictitious story about P.T. Barnum, the premise of this movie is that P.T. Barnum was a dreamer, and he gets caught up in fame, and he gets caught up in materialism, and I don't want to ruin the, the musical for you, but at the end, he realizes that, that neither fame nor money can truly satisfy and there's a particular song, it's kind of two-thirds of the way in as the climax of P.T. Barnum's fantasy of trying to be the biggest and the best. There's this song that is sang in the movie called Never Enough. And the chorus says this, all that shines of a thousand spotlights all the stars we steal from the night sky will never be enough, never be enough. Towers of gold are still too little. These hands could hold the world, but it'll never be enough, never be enough. The truth is, is that without Jesus, nothing in this world will ever be enough. Only Jesus is enough. And if you're here today and your heart is hungry, he's here and he can satisfy you and he can change you and he can work in you and he can give you what your heart is longing for. He is more than enough. So I'm gonna pray you're here and you need Jesus. You're unhappy, you're miserable. Ask Jesus to save you today. Ask him to change you today. Ask him to fill you with his presence. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the fact that, that you are enough. And because you are enough, that is enough. I don't need anything else. I, I don't need any, anything that this world has to offer. If I've got you, Jesus, I've got everything. Lord, help my heart to believe that. Lord, help us all to believe it. And God, today, those in this room or those watching online or those listening to this podcast later on, Father, if they've never trusted you as their Savior, would today be the day that they ask you to forgive them of their sins and save them? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing Jaira. Thank you for joining us as we go through God's Word together. I pray again that God will transform you from the inside out. So as we say here at first, you have come to church. Go out and be the church. Have a great week of worship. We can't wait to see you soon.